Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome back to uh, another edition of Buy or Sell What the Hell. I'm your host, Jason Jenkins, and I'm here with Alec today. Uh, we're just going to talk about, we've, we get a lot of questions during the week from both our traders and um, just people that are interested in what we do and trading in general. So I just kind of wanted to have a more of a laid back session and just go through some topics Um Alec, did you have kind of an idea of some of the the top inquiries or some of the things that maybe we should hit on this week? Yeah, hey guys, uh, we got a few questions. Uh, a lot of questions about you know what kind of indicators do we use? Uh, you know, should you use indicators? And you know, really about what do you think about the technical and uh, fundamental analysis, and what are the differences between the two? Okay. <clears throat> yeah, that's something that comes up, and and um, I would say that the big difference between the two, obviously technical and fundamental, fundamental analysis. I mean, everybody knows the differences. So I don't have to get into the basics of what yeah. is fundamental analysis, but um, kind of the way we we use the two. And then actually, we should probably talk about another two areas in the fields of uh, you know in the field of analysis that I don't think gets enough attention. I don't even think some traders even think about or taught and that's cyclical analysis and then mental analysis or that's the whole psychology of trading. Mm -hmm. um, but I've always had kind of two opinions on the fundamentals versus the technicals and um, I think in terms of you know 80-20 rule where you want to spend 80% of your time um, you know you want to do things that you want to spend 80% of your time with the things that give you the top 20% of your results. And so when we think about that in terms of trading, I think it's 80% of what decisions you make needs to be based on price action or the technicals. Mm -hmm. And then really even a smaller percent I've always kind of prescribed to should be fundamentals. And the reason being is <clears throat> this kind of came up in the group sessions. I was actually um, – Rereading one of the my favorite books, um, uh, Jesse Livermore, who's a well-known trader back in the early 1900s, is considered one of the greatest traders of all time. Actually, um, huge, huge, huge trader, and really moved the market. <clears throat> but in his book, he was, you know, he he has a whole um, a whole topic on how he used to write down his trades and journal his trades and this was before anybody really had any serious kind of charting techniques before point and figure um, and so what he used to do was just write down the price action and try to follow and build ranges in his mind in his journal so he would write out you know they were trading off the ticker tape at the time so yeah. nothing electronic obviously and 
he talks in there about, you know, everybody used to think he considered himself a speculator and how everyone would say, oh, the speculators, those guys are the, they're the ones that take all the risks. You know, they're the ones that crash the markets. You know, when you have a bear market, they're the ones that everybody looks at as the bad guy. Um, and his point was that it's actually the investors, he thinks, that are the ones that are reckless and the ones that take all the risk. Point being is, he said, you know, I remember right at the kind of the turn of the century, everyone was in the railroad stocks. Um, and, you know, there were XY, um, Burlington and uh, New York and Pennsylvania, this and that. And all these stocks were trading up at 150 bucks, 350 bucks a share. All those, all the railroad stocks were considered, um, you know, not risky. Um, and even they were considered the value stocks at the time. And his point was as soon as the industry started to shift and new technology came on, everything that was at quote value or was a good value play mm -hmm. or was cheap, um, a lot of those shares ended up going and trading for literally 25 cents five, seven years later. And his point was that the speculator they'll stay with the trend as long as the trend is bullish. But as soon as something breaks or there's a breakdown in his process, um, they'll just move to the sidelines or he'll get out or they'll go short. And he said the investors are the ones that get sucked into this fundamental view that, oh, this is cheap. Well, guess what? Cheap gets cheaper, right? Mm -hmm. And it's impossible to always know the fundamentals. So here you have, you're analyzing the railroads based on the last hundred years and that's where all the money was made and things are looking relatively cheap well along comes the automobile right into the roaring 1920s and completely changes the whole industry yeah and it's tough to to take a fundamental view because you can't see those things happening or you don't have that in your fundamental um equation because you know assembly line uh, <clears throat> combustion engine wasn't wasn't in your just kind of cash flows. It's not part of your what you're going to do to get to your bottom line on your fundamental side. So, um, to me, there's lots of examples like that where the fundamentals can get you in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, even if you want to think about it from a commodity standpoint, um, depending on what part of the world you're in, you don't know what government's going to change the rules you don't know what the weather patterns are going to be if you're in the mining business or you're invested in say some copper mine or uh let's just say something in the agriculture business well you have a drought that you can't see coming that completely can change the price of um whatever particular crop or commodity that you're that goes into the input of your business it's just so hard to trade that so um <clears throat> That's why I always discounted the fundamentals to maybe 10% of, of your thinking as far as what you want to trade and invest in. The fundamentals are good to give you an idea of where something might trade to. Okay, okay, something's really cheap, but why is it cheap? Well, maybe it is just out of favor. Um, maybe you can figure out, okay, I think it should be worth this. So it gives you an idea of where something can go. Maybe it kind of gives you a feel for the risk reward and what the potential is. Or at the same time, it could tell you, well, based on, you know, things are really over, overvalued up here. We're pretty overbought. 
so maybe I'm not going to get as aggressive. Um, but at the same time, something that's very um, that has a higher PE or is considered overvalued, well, it's it's more expensive for a reason. A lot of time, investors are willing to pay up, and something that seems expensive can keep getting more expensive, and that's kind of sometimes where you want to be, depending on the momentum. So we don't like to trade that way. And the other thing with markets too is they don't they don't trade based on you know the reality or the actual valuation of something. The markets move based on the anticipation or what what traders perceive the valuation to be. So in other words, you know, there the comp- a company might be trading at $50 a share and it falls to $25 a share and then falls to $15 a share. Well, the market may perceive that that company is going bankrupt when in reality they're not. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter <laughs> whether the company at the end of the day is insolvent or not. It mm-hmm. just matters that the market, the market can perceive X risks that never materialize. And that's enough to push the stock lower, to create no bid type of price action. Um, so anyway, you know, you and I, we've talked about all the different reasons why fundamentals can kind of trip you up before. Um, um, so we don't pay a lot of attention to the fundamentals. What matters more is we try to stick with the price action, identifying the trend. And then we like to trade with an idea or a concept what's called in trading in the now. So when <clears throat> you have, you know, you we talk about, well, where, where might something trade to or what's the valuation of this mm-hmm. particular company? Or, you know, what's going to happen with this particular ICO that just came out? There's this new project, blah, blah, blah. What's China going to do with it? Um, what do the developers want to do? Is this going to hard fork? Is this going to create this and that? And I just see so much what we call scenario building in the crypto space, and it's true in other markets too. But we try to teach our guys you got to be really careful about scenario building. And scenario building is where you take you take what you think is going to happen in the particular market, and then you project that forward. And the danger in that is from a psychological perspective, you can create a bias or you can be so kind of entrenched in, you know, you can go down a path where I think this is going to happen. Then you go and read this and that confirms what you were thinking before. Then you read another five articles that really, Oh no, this is definitely going to happen because of everything I'm coming across is pointing in that same direction. But back to the same point where you're never going to have all the information. So there's, the market might not be picking up on the same thing that you see. You might be missing an entirely different um, factor that that you just never know. So when you start to fix in your mind exactly where the price, oh man, this this particular coin has to go up. It has to go to this level. Um, everything I'm reading says it's bullish. Blah blah blah. What what will happen is the psychological part of the human brain is you'll fix in your mind that that scenario has to play out and then you'll naturally start to ignore all the information that the market's telling you. So for example, let's say 
you know XYZ token is in an uptrend that starts to you start to scenario build it's going to double or triple you're going to you start counting how much money you're going to make well then some other news comes out and you know the coin starts to slip and then there's a higher low that gets taken out next thing you know it goes from 100 to 90 to 80 and you keep but in your mind you're so convinced that the price has to be a double or triple you ignore all the the breaks along the way you don't stick to your trading plan um and i that's that's a common thing that happens to both professional traders and amateur traders it's just we call that scenario building so what we try to do is stay flexible in our expectations of what's going to happen and not rigid in our expectations because as soon as you don't embrace the uncertainty and you say, I absolutely know this is going to work or I know this, this is going to go this particular direction. Mm-hmm. I'm going to buy more. I'm going to buy more. I'm going to buy more. And then the next thing you know, you know, you're, you're just been buying into a downtrend when if you were more flexible in your thinking and embracing the uncertainty, you could have been out or short 50% higher, but people get sucked into they get fixed in their bias. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, that's really easy to do with all the information out there. I mean, it's, it's easy to, you know, you know find whatever you think is going to happen, and you can find yeah. things to support both sides of the argument. And, yeah. You know, if that's the only thing you're looking for, I mean, it's pretty easy from a fundamental standpoint to pretty have a pretty big bias. Right. It's No, exactly. And you see that all day. I mean, the talking heads on TV, you can always spin it. The bulls can always spin. You know, these long-only brokers, stock brokers, they've been doing it. They've been good at it for years. You want to sell being invested in stocks, they always can find a reason why you should be, you know, why you should be long. You can always ignore the bearish information. But that's just not the best way to trade. The really good traders, it's almost, see, it's almost a shift in, the trader's psychology where you see like I this is just what I see a lot is people are always trying to figure out I need to know where this particular token's going to trade mm-hmm. you know we got to know I got what's this fork going to do or the upcoming ethereum blah 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 because everybody's trying to fit they're trying to figure out where the market's going to tr- trade to but you actually want to get to the point where it's the opposite, where you you have the the mentality that I don't have no idea where this is going to go. The the probability it goes up might be higher, and there's an edge there. We're in the trend. We want to be long. That's fine. But I'm very flexible that if this breaks down, there's absolutely no reason why this can't fall by fifty percent, or there's anything can happen. And when you approach the market from anything can happen, you stop trying to figure out what's next or I need to know what's going to happen next because you don't really need to know. What you need to know is that anything can happen and then trade in, this gets back to what I was saying, is trading in the now moment, meaning you're just going to trade what is. Is the market in an uptrend? No opinion, no thinking, no Mm -hmm. reading this and calling this person or watching this on TV. It just is what it is. Are we in an uptrend? Yes or no? What time frame are we in? Are we in an uptrend in the long term? Yes. Are we on an intermediate term uptrend? Yes. Are we in a near term uptrend? Yes. You know what I mean? There's no 
There's no opinion. There's no injection. It's just plain and simple. That's just trading what is. It is what it is. It's an uptrend. Where people get in trouble is they say, oh, well, they start making excuses for why the price isn't doing what they projected and what they scenario built about. And it's, it's really tough for people with big egos or a lot of times even traders that think they're so smart they can't admit they're wrong. They'll come up with a million reasons why the market should trade to where they decide it's worth or where they think it's going to go. And they can completely just blow themselves up on one trade because they can't A, admit they're wrong, right or wrong. Or the other side of that is they're just ignoring what's happening. Oh, well. You know, the trend's breaking. It is what it is. So what are we going to do? How are we going to manage the risk? We should get, go to the sidelines, stop out. Do we flip and get short? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's the, you know, the trading what is that we always try to get across to our team. It's just it's less thinking about well, what's what's it going to do? What's the project team going to do? Or where's it going to be? We don't really need to know all that. We just need to know where we are in the trend right now and how are you going to work your position. Or how are you going to manage the risk, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's something a lot of people have a trouble getting where they, you know, they, they only have one scenario in their mind where, you know, it's, it's either going to go, it's going to go right up to my, where, where I think it's going to go. And there's, they don't, they're not prepared for any other scenario with, you know, yep. position sizing or any sort of yep. other risk management. Yep. And that's. And now that's the whole psychology of trading. That's so. So we touched on the fundamentals. Why? Why? That should be just a small percentage of your analysis, right? And then the mm -hmm. technicals is technicals is tough to get into on a podcast. There's lots of techniques and different styles. Um, but that's following price and trend, and that's where the majority of traders, you know, they focus, which mm -hmm. is which is fine. But then there's this whole other two side these other two fields that nobody really talks about and that's what we just spent a little bit of time on the mental analysis i call it the psychology of trading mm -hmm. that's actually probably the most important um um and then the cyclical analysis which is you know what we do a lot of work on too and that's understanding time and um that's the cycle part that you know, timing matters more than the fundamentals. We could go back to a whole nother, you know, several scenarios on that. I mean, if you if you had the if you had the real estate boom timed, if, or if you were right about if you were two or two years early on real estate and you were shorting it, lots mm -hmm. of guys couldn't couldn't stay short. They yeah. just their timing was poor. Um, you know, um. You can bring up lots of scenarios like that. I mean, you could you could have the big picture fundamental view right, but you could be a couple years too early, and you'll never be able to stay in that trade if you're if, if you work your size wrong, if you're too too heavy too early, you'll you'll get stopped out long before you can really see that fundamental view come to fruition. You know. Mm -hmm. um, so, I don't know how much more I want to go into that. What did we? What did you say on the the indicators earlier? You know, I mean, how important are indicators for really timing, uh, for the timing component? Oh, okay. Um, 
I think the indicators, there's a lot of people that kind of, um, there's lots of different models. There's lots of different great indicators out there. I guess it just comes down to putting together a trading plan that works for you and your particular style. Um, I, I see a lot of common things that, that people do wrong, like moving average crosses is one that's just, I used to do that when I first started trading and it's such a lagging um, indicator that by the time you get XYZ moving average crosses and other X, you know, you've already missed the bottom of the trend. It's already, it's already a lot of the move is already underway. So there's actually better ways to identify the trend. Um, one of the things I see a lot of just, just way too basic is, you know, somebody wants to be bullish if you're above the 50 day bearish if you're below. You can, you've seen this just recently, a couple times I caught on TV, people talking about Apple. I mean, Apple's been in a long-term uptrend, and just because it pulls back to its 50-day doesn't change the trend. I mean, just because one day you're above it and the next day you poke through it, I mean, guys will literally turn around in short just because it went through that average, even though the, the price has already come off 15% from the high. So, mm -hmm. so that's, that's what happens, too, where the market will keep making higher lows. And we like to be what we call area specific and not level specific so, so if you imagine a chart and you, you want to draw your 50-day moving average i mean we like to use a 30-day but it's all relative the point is is that if you drive a 50-day and you're in an uptrend and these pullbacks pull back towards that 50-day well if you treat that 50-day as an area mm -hmm. you're going to be much better off buying into that dip instead of treating it as a specific level because lots of times you'll poke through that average only to make a low and then be at a new high. Um, that's been happening a lot in this, this tech rally this year. So that's, that's another big one. I mean, if you want a simple takeaway is don't treat those moving averages as, you know, they're not support and resistance. That's only defined by price levels where you're, you're talking about areas that the market's traded to traded at a couple months ago that creates a ceiling because traders are long or short from those particular areas of price when it gets back there there's already sellers that have orders in there or that creates support and resistance just a line on the chart isn't actually technically support resistance some people treat it those moving averages like that also you're better off just treating them as an area and not you know um a buy or sell specific mm -hmm. level that you need that you need to trade around. I mean, I mean, do you think it's true that people put a little too much emphasis on you know which indicators they use compared to position sizing? Oh yeah, no, no, that's a good point. I do. I, I think that's very true because you can have the greatest the technical setup and signals. You know, have a great model. Mm -hmm. And you're getting the trade on, you're, you get all fouled up mentally. You know, you can make all kinds of mistakes from the mental standpoint. Or like you said, you, how are you going to work your position size around those particular indicators? I mean, if you give me somebody that knows how to work a position and manage yeah. their risk, that's going to be the better trader versus someone that just has like, so it's because people try to look for the perfect indicators that, that they're never going to have a losing trade. I mean, that's a typical, 
thinking pattern that exists out there. They're like, there's a holy grail or man, I just need to find something that gives me a higher winning percentage. When, when in reality, if you get better at managing your risk and how you work your size, that's going to improve your consistency more than, you know, adding another indicator or, yeah. you know, and then sometimes people have too much stuff on their chart. I mean, trading is hard enough as it is, but you want to keep it simple. So <laughs> sometimes these people got, you know, it's like a spaghetti bowl all over their chart and, and then they get confused because one indicator is telling this, another indicator is telling the opposite, or five are telling them this, and another two are saying that. And then the next thing you know, they just, it's like, you know, they just completely confuse themselves. So um, we try to keep it simple. We have one indicator that helps with our timing and cycles, the main one. Then we have another one that helps decide whether we're overbought or oversold then we don't even really use that one i mean the rsi that's pretty standard mm -hmm. but we like to use some other concepts that we look at price from a momentum standpoint and um we talk a lot about angle and distance right so we can you yeah. can look at a chart and if you understand angle and distance and where price is relative to like a eight period moving average or um, you know, anything that we want to choose, but how price gets to somewhere matters also. It's not just, well, this particular level we've rallied to, that means we're overbought because we were 50% lower last month. Well, the way you get to a certain level matters, right? Like if you gradually rally to that level, you can still be in a nice, well-defined powerful uptrend mm -hmm. it's different than something that goes vertical in one day and then reaches a certain price level um so there's other ways to define the trend too than just you know too many people are using a moving average as to define what, what, what trend it is <clears throat> um trying to think what other indicators people have questions about It's tough to have the the technical conversation when you don't have a chart to yeah. show. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think another point is too. Uh, maybe not about indicators, but what I find is a lot of people are always trying to search for. You know, they put a lot of weight into you know just one or two positions, and I I, I find it people just have a really hard time taking profits. Uh, you know, a lot of comments oh. I've seen on even on your videos and trades where. You know, they say, oh, why'd you take profit here? You know, it just went up another two, three percent. Right. You know? Oh, I know. I know what you're asking. I know what you're saying. That's, yeah, that's something. I don't know. I guess that's, I don't know why, but it seems like it's more in the crypto space. But people <laughs> feel, too, like they have to be all in or all out. Yeah, that's exactly and what I mean. So, yeah. So, I was trying to think what, what pair we were trading this week. I guess it was Neo. Someone was like, "Well, I don't I only have a smaller position, so yeah. should I take profit here with you? You guys at the same time?" Well, uh, you know, a couple of things on that. It, we want to be concerned with the right action in the market. So whether you know if somebody's long ten thousand shares in Neo versus somebody that's only long five shares of a Neo, this 
the position size really shouldn't matter, right? I mean, if you're if if you're going to end up taking profit into the all time high, mm-hmm. that is what it is. That would be a great call, right? So, just because you have a smaller position doesn't mean that you never want to take profit because of the cycles telling you to do that, or because we're extended and really overbought. So that's some that should be something that never really should come into your thinking as well. I only have this amount of position, so I'm not going to sell. You can always take some of it off. I mean, I guess there's times where you have your da- you're down to your last one or two lots in your yeah. position, and you d- you don't want to lose your position, so you won't sell. But let's just say, for example, whether I'm long ten thousand shares in Neo, and it does what it did did this week, where we kind of caught the turn, we caught the breakout, we got aggressive, and it has its first 25% move right from where we mm-hmm. signal buy. You got it, and especially when it goes vertical, literally in two five or two five minute candles or two 15 minute candles, it goes straight vertical up 25%. I mean, first of all, in any other market, you, you hardly get 25% moves in a week or in a month, mm-hmm. let alone in one day. So that's kind of an obvious one is just, hey, I bought something really well. It's up 25%. Should I take profit? Yeah. I mean, otherwise you're being greedy. Mm-hmm. But learning to scale out and not having the mentality, well, I either have to be in or I'm out. And I think we see that a lot. So people are like, well, I don't. Why should I sell here or should I hold? Well, you should do both. So, you know, take a little bit of profit, but keep a core position or hold hold a position. But let's say you're long ten you know, 10 shares, well, you get a nice move like that, you take off a third or a quarter or an eighth of your position. And then that way you can kind of scratch that itch of you got some money burning in your pocket, a hole in your pocket, you take some profit. If it keeps running, great, you're going to make more money. You know, it's a win-win. If it fails and the market pulls back, you took advantage of that move up. So many times where you say, oh, goes up 25% and then people start thinking in their mind it's going to go up to 300% and they're going to quadruple their money and they get all excited and then the market falls right back to where they bought. And then here you are a week later, you already had a 25% move and you didn't get to take advantage or realize anything into that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we like to scale in, scale out. And and then you, and then when you, you free yourself up from being like, oh, should I keep take everything off and it keeps rallying and then you have anxiety that you missed out on more of the move. So you take a little bit off. If it comes back, then you can buy that back that you sold higher. Now you're compounding your results more. Um, yeah, so we're constantly saying and that that was a good point to bring up. It's like you don't have to be all in or out. Just take a little bit off and then let some run. I mean, you might miss out on a, you know, a few gains, but I mean, it seems like that's really the key to being really consistent in your trading. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, every time that people are getting greedy and they want to hold is where you should be taking some profit. I mean, we ended up selling the exact high yesterday in Neo for that same reason. People are like, well, I only have a small position. I'm going to hold. And now you're right back to where you were last week. Yeah. And now, you know, you just kind of, you're kind of almost in a way wasting your time because you're, you're not taking advantage of the move. And people into the major highs have to do the same thing. I mean, um, there's big traders that had big big positions on Ethereum up to that 400 level. And if you weren't taking profit into that that move, you know, what if we 
stay down at these levels for the rest of the year. I mean, mm-hmm. you just missed out on all that opportunity to take some money off the table. Um, and that's just, that's even psychology of trading also. Yeah. Um, well, partner, that's all, all I have for this week. We kind of wanted to keep a shorter, I guess, talk um, for this week's episode. Um, I guess, guys, too, going forward, for everyone that's listening, thanks for joining in. We'll try to get some, do some interviews and things on this podcast or try to make it a little bit more interactive if there's certain topics you guys want to talk about. Maybe we can at some point figure in a more interactive way that people can uh, – text in or call in yeah yeah that'd be interesting to do at least at the very least we'd like to start taking some questions and answering them on on the podcast yeah definitely i mean because i don't want to just be talking about things that (laughs) i want to talk to you guys what you what you guys are interested in or what you're struggling with or um i mean i've had lots of points in my career where it's like you just can't figure out what you're doing wrong to get to that next level um so anyway i think that's pretty much it alec do you have anything else no i mean i think that's a it's a pretty solid uh conversation all right good stuff we'll, we'll wrap it up there we'll look forward to talking to everyone uh, next week all right see you guys all right all right guys thanks <laughs>